It's a big story today. The Alliance of American Football has shut down operations. The players notified by email that their contracts were being terminated as of today. The staff tomorrow. We're just eight weeks into the 10-week regular season, and the AAF has pulled the plug and suspended all football operations within the league. That means that the Arizona Hotshots regular season home finale this Sunday against Birmingham won't take place. Decision to close operations made by the AAF chairman Tom Dundon. The Dallas billionaire invested $250 million into the startup league one week after it opened, but reports indicate he has already lost a projected $75 million and decided to pull out. How it ended was horrible for them. Uh, uh, you know, okay, we're done, get home on your own. Like, we, we had never planned to do that. And the way it was handled was we didn't control the narrative at that point. That's the problem. Mr. Dundon and his team did. We would never have done this to our players the way it was done. The original group that launched the Alliance of American Football did everything they could to help the league survive. But it didn't even last a full season. In this series finale, we'll take a look into what went wrong, the way it was all handled when the league shut its doors, and the lasting memories it left behind. I'm Cherston Soussel, and this is PHNX The Story. It was devastating because I felt like what we built kind of just vanished. It didn't crumble uh, or crack or fall down or fall over. It was just completely gone. You know, one day the league was there. There was some dark clouds of uncertainty hanging over us pretty much from the second week of the season to where uh, media members, you know, right or wrong, um, informed or uninformed, were putting out tweets or, or social media posts saying, hey, you know, they're having trouble paying their players or they're having trouble uh, paying their rent or fielding rosters or um, getting charters for the next game. What will happen? Um, the networks were kind of in a holding pattern. Um, even when I didn't know something, um, the networks always came through and said, hey, we'll be there Saturday and we'll be loading in Thursday and you know, unlock the doors for us. And so you didn't really know how well the AAF was um communicating with our partners that would be our landlords the networks um it was really on our side of the ledger where at the top they were trying to figure out ways to continue to make payroll with not necessarily enough revenue rolling in that was either promised on a game by game basis from the networks or not enough uh, revenue being remitted by season ticket sales or walk-ups or concessions or retail um Right up until the end, I was getting calls with business as usual. So it was completely devastating because it it wasn't out of left field, but, and that made it hard because some of the people who were skeptics were, in, in, in effect, right. As you heard in Episode 2, there were surefire indicators that the league was in financial trouble. But rumors began swirling pretty early on. It was hard to decipher fact from fiction from intuition. Here's former hotshot Robert Nelson Jr. In the beginning, I was just like, man, let me mind my business and just play the game I love. But at the end of it, that's when, you know, they started paying us in cash and start acting type, you know, a lot, like acting weird. And I'm like, oh, it's about to come to an end. And I actually, um, 
I worked with the lady who, um, basically our doctor, um, is me and James Harrison was talking with, I was getting, uh, adjusted and James Harrison was there and he was like, that league ain't going to last. And I'm like, what? He was like, that's not going to last. I'm like, bro, yes it is. He was like, boy, I'm telling you it ain't going to last. Boy, I've been playing this. I've been playing this for so long. They don't have enough money to pay y'all. They paying people who never played in the league $300,000 and they ain't giving the rest of y'all a hundred. Like, they paying the coaches, the assistant coaches, $150,000 and y'all only getting a hundred. Like, it makes no sense. Y'all going to go bankrupt. And I'm like, James, he was like, trust me, bro. Like, he was like, he was like, you don't got to listen, but I know, bro. You, you can't pay the overhead more than you pay the players. It's just what it is. Da, da, da. Boom. Four weeks in, he was like, I told you. He was like, y'all about to. I'm like, nah, we still going. They said, he was like, they lying to y'all. They're lying. They're lying. He was like, think about the U.S. government. The government tell us what's really going on. We're panic, and that's just how James Harrison talked. So he was like, "They doing the same thing with y'all. It's, it's it's all a strategy." I was like, "Damn, he right." Boom, out of there. I'm like, "Wow." He saw me again the next week. He's like, "I told you, I told you. Hope you saved that money." I'm like, "Dang." I'm like, "Yeah, I did." But wow, how you know? My conversation with Robert Nelson Jr. wasn't the only time the L word was brought up. Former players Richard Mullaney and Carl Bradford remember Charlie Ebersol speaking to them after the last game they ever played as hotshots. I think it was about San Antonio. We beat them. We're in the locker room. Uh, but there's all those like rumors going around like, oh, like what's going on? Is it stopping? Is it continuing? And... What's his name? Charlie Ebersol. He comes into the locker room and he's like, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. Like, so proud of you guys. Like, keep it up. And someone in the background goes like, so what's going on? Are we even going to be, you know, suiting up next week or blah, blah, blah. He's like, no doubt about it. Be at practice on Tuesday. Like, you guys, so proud of you guys, blah, blah, blah. We're like, all right. Give us all speech of, of, hey, the rumors are false. This is this is this. This is lies. And so we're like, okay, whatever. And like, we got back home. And next thing you know, I get a text Tuesday morning, I think. And it was like team meeting. And we're like, oh no. <laughs> but we're like, oh wow, he just lied to our faces. <laughs> it was like, it was like, oh my gosh. We'll never know exactly what Eversol knew at that point. But it was the league's head of brand, Mark Jacobson, who was adamant that the original group who launched the league would have handled it all way differently. By that point, Tom Dundon was the controlling owner. A side note on that, Dundon also owned and still owns the Carolina Hurricanes. And perhaps this is a good time to take a step back and answer the question of why Ebersol had to sell the league to begin with. The L word comes into play once again. They were lied to by the original lead investor, Reggie Fowler, in a big way about the money he claimed to have that he could use to invest. It all came to light right as the league was launching. 
Fowler was part of a cryptocurrency scheme and was charged with bank fraud, bank fraud conspiracy, operation of an unlicensed money transmitting business, conspiracy to operate an unlicensed money transmitting business, and wire fraud, which contributed to the league's demise. In April 2022, he pled guilty to those charges as well as to defrauding the AAF. He's facing a maximum of 90 years in prison and is scheduled to be sentenced on August 30th, 2022. And people say, did you move too fast? And I said, absolutely not. I mean, we moved fast, no question. What happened to us, honestly, was bad funding. And I mean, he was vetted long and hard. And he, he fooled a lot of people, not only us, but big banks. We got to a point where, you know, we, he, wasn't, he wasn't honoring the payments. We had to make some hard decisions. We made the decision to go uh, uh, after our first game, open a new round of funding, and Tom Dundon came on board. I gave him credit, came on board with not a, ho- not a whole lot of due diligence. We needed money, needed it fast. But I think it turned out his, you know, we gave Charlie end up giving away the majority of the company to keep us going. And I remember that call. He's like, what do you think? And I'm like, we just got to get through the season. We just got to get through the season because we already started talking about things we could have done differently and how would we change going forward? Markets get us through, get us through. And we thought we had a partner that was going to get us through. And it turned out, you know, at the end of the day, he was on the same page uh, as we were. Dundon wasn't the savior they were hoping for. There have been conflicting claims and subsequent lawsuits regarding who's truly at fault for the league ultimately failing between Dundon and Ebersol. But Jacobson explains why it didn't work from his perspective. I can tell you it was my understanding that he didn't have much interest in the technology. He had interest in forming an alliance with the NFL and the PA to be a true feeder system to them. You don't move those guys that fast. They love what we were doing. We're giving people more jobs in football, but it it takes some time. We had a long-term plan to partner with those guys and they were on board, but you know, Mr. Dundon wanted to move it fast and you don't turn the Titanic around that fast and, and, and get the NFL and the PA on board. There's a lot of things go into that. And the other stuff, seemed to be secondary where for us yes we want to put great football out there give these kids a chance to play give them a chance to hopefully maybe make a leap but for us it was we want to develop this technology it's going to make this game the interaction between fans and players and the game a whole different experience and um we were well on our way. You know, the challenge was we had to outfit each stadium with the technology to be able to get the, uh, the feed with no latency. And that's a big investment and a big undertaking. But the predictive gaming part of it, um, it was we got to really some really good. We got a, we got well down the road. Um, but I don't think that was where his mine was at from a financial standpoint. I think that prestige of saying that I'm partnered with the NFL was, was 
at the utmost importance to him. As this episode continues and eventually shifts to a lighter note, I want to take a moment to recognize that this is all serious stuff. It's people's lives, livelihoods, and dreams that were shattered with the rise and fall of this football league. We shouldn't take that lightly. Now, let's get back to Tuesday, April 2nd, 2019. There was no staff meeting announcing the shutdown. For the most part, everyone else found out through the media. I remember it was my birthday that we found out. I was sitting there at like 10 a.m. I got a tweet from Darren Rovell at around 10 a.m. saying that, you know, effective immediately, the AAF has shut down league operations. Well, that was surreal because I was league operations. I was a part of, of that team. And so you're sitting in an office and the ceiling's still over your head. The walls haven't crumbled and the office isn't being raided. And moreover, I read the tweet and, you know, I, I lean my ear out the door and I don't hear anything. There wasn't any fire alarms pulled or, or shouting or gasping. But I quickly walked into our president's office and showed him the tweet. And he, you know, just asked me to excuse myself from his office. And he got on the phone. I heard him on the phone because we were we shared a wall. And sure enough, he pulled in our leadership team, which is about four or five people, and told us that he talked to you know people at the league in Tampa and in San Francisco. And sure enough, this thing was over. And I, I, I've never, you know, had, you know, a, a period of my life end from a tweet from someone who's in the public eye or in sports media, especially if it maybe made me feel like I was getting traded or released in a way. And so that day was my birthday and they'd gotten a birthday cake for me like they did for everyone else. And we cut the cake as basically a goodbye to everyone. I'm getting my hair cut. And in the middle of my haircut, I get a, the little ESPN da-da-da-da-da-da, and I get out my phone and it's like, well, we're done. That literally, it's how I found out. Da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> and she says, what's wrong? And I said, I just lost another job. <laughs> I, I had a, an uproarious amount of fun with that job. I didn't think I would, but I ended up just having a ball. And that's what upset me about it ending was, you know, I'd learned so much working with Dale and we were just having a good time. It reminded me so much of when we started the Rattlers. It was just all about having fun. And we promoted that to the to the to the fans. And you know, it was Eight, nine, ten thousand a game at Sun Devil Stadium, but it was pretty consistent. Although most of the people I spoke with got paid up until the shutdown, Munn had a story of being shorted a few hundred dollars his final paycheck. But everyone was still abruptly without future paychecks they were planning on receiving when they signed contracts. Off of that league, I probably got like $20,000 out of the 100 that we were supposed to get. Um, so, I mean, if anything, you should have cleared 60 or 70,000 liquid. Um, 
which that was a big risk. And then once I um, once I got hurt twice from practice and stuff, um, I ended up spending 14000 to heal my knee. So it's kind of like out of 20000 spent 14000 to come back. Which is really messed up was filing my taxes from then the people that were like taking care of like the w-2s and stuff like that because they stopped getting paid so they never turned my stuff in so then they didn't have any record of the amount of money that i was making like they're like we have no like you didn't make this money like they never turned it in so so like i had to go through legit like got my tax return from what was that I don't even know what year was that. <laughs> 2019. I just got it in February after dealing with it for, yeah, years. It may have had something to do with the fact that Rick Neuheisel was out in Chicago to watch his son play in a corn fairy event when I was talking to him. Qualified on Monday, so I'm just the happy, proud dad. But he seemed to have a pretty positive disposition surrounding the AAF from start to finish. It was emotional just because we were on a roll and kids were seeing the fruits of their labor now, you know, showing on the field and, and so forth. And I think we all didn't want it to end. I mean, just because it was that kind of fun. Uh, and when somebody comes in and pulls the plug of the music and the dance has to stop, you know, it's, it's no fun at all, but we found a way to celebrate even that. <laughs> we ended up going, I threw a big party that day at, uh, at a restaurant for all the coaches, any players that wanted to come. And then a couple of the players, uh, uh, Nick Folk, I think, uh, threw a party at, uh, at a club over by Arizona state. And I mean, it was one of those, what a great time, handshakes, hugs, not going to forget this. That, and, and that as kind of the leader of this, this, Merry uh, bunch of guys running around trying to play football again. That was rewarding to see everybody kind of feeling that way about it. I, I belong over at Phoenix Country Club, and I would take a position group to the to the club on Friday nights, and we would it, they would have a blast. We'd have putting contests, but they'd have fun. But the the membership at Phoenix Country Club to hang out with these hotshots. That was the blast. They they missed those guys like there's no tomorrow. They, they how much fun they had with these kids. That's what kind of great kids they were. The AAF was was a terrific deal. It's just too bad that uh, they didn't have the financial backing to keep it going. Because I think had it gotten to year two, people would have really gravitated towards it. Knowing what you know now and how it unfolded, how it ended, would you go back and do it again? A hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I still have like some of those guys are like my, yeah, will be my friends for forever. And it was cool. Like I said, I got to be roommates with one of my college best friends from Oregon State, um, John Wolford, our quarterback. He's with the Rams, right down the street from me. So we always in the off season still throw, still get together, um, still talk to the guys, Scooby. Yeah. So yeah, definitely, definitely worth it. As I would say, you know, first of all, thank you for the opportunity. Um, 
forgiving myself and these other guys, you know, because a lot of other guys, they had nothing. And this made, this kept a lot of the guys out of the streets. This kept a lot of guys feeding their they kids, their families. Um, it gave a lot of guys hope. And a lot of guys got shots after this. Mostly, you know what I mean? It kept a lot of guys from anxiety, depression, and doing all type of drugs. You know what I mean? Because a lot of us NFL players go through that. And it, honestly, I've, I mean, we all had conversations. We sat down and talked, and people was like, oh, I was, I was going to go back to selling drugs after this. And, you know, so they did do positive. I, I can't even lie. Like, they did do positive things by giving these guys light. Just being around those guys and the coaches was, um, you could tell like they were really excited to teach the kids how to play the right way. So it was, we had some great talent and we moved fast, but we did some really, really cool stuff. And I'm, I'm very proud of it. And I wish we could have continued it. I, I, I know we would have succeeded, but you know, um, like you said, you got you took a chance. We all take chances, right? You got to be as calculated as you can, but that was once in a lifetime. What could have been is a question that will forever be synonymous with the AAF, a league that had so much potential. Everyone has their own story of how it impacted their life during the league's short tenure, and an opinion on the way it all played out. In the end, it was made up of groups of people taking their shot at achieving a dream, and that is something that should never be frowned upon. Thank you so much for listening to another series of The Story. If you've enjoyed this podcast, it would be super helpful if you could give it a rating and leave a review. Once again, I'm Chirsten Soussel. Thanks for listening.